She's passionate about helping you become the best mama you can be and is pulling back the curtain on experts' advice for every area of our lives, from eating for wellness, the best advice for littles, fashion and style, and everything in between. Get ready to get real. This is Not Your Mama's Podcast with your host, Christina Franci. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Not Your Mama's Podcast. The title of this episode is Habits and Why They Are Necessary for Reaching Your Health Goals. In this episode, we are speaking with Rebecca Washuta, who is a licensed dietitian, nutritionist, and behavior change expert specializing in weight loss and habit formation. With degrees in both neuroscience and nutrition, Rebecca helps her clients determine what foods best support their bodies and help them develop lasting healthy habits so they can achieve their weight loss and wellness goals. She's worked with hundreds of clients and has been featured in countless publications, including USA Today, Prevention Magazine, and Eat This, Not That. Rebecca, I'm so excited to have you on today. Can you give the audience a little bit more about your background and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So, you know, my interest in nutrition actually started when I was younger um, because I was diagnosed with celiac disease. So for those of you who don't know, celiac is a, um, an autoimmune condition that's triggered by gluten. So it's more than just a sensitivity or an intolerance. Um, It actually causes like a cascade of autoimmune reactions within your body. So from a very young age, I was very aware of the fact that the food that you eat can impact you physically. Um, but that had, you know, been in the back of my mind. It's something that runs in my family. And so um, even though I've been reading nutrition labels since I was a kid, uh, nutrition wasn't particularly something that interested me. So uh, in college, I majored in neuroscience. I was really interested in science, but didn't know what I wanted to do after that. Um, I knew that I didn't want to go to med school, so I, I can't handle blood. I can't even handle my own blood. So <laughs> that that was an immediate no for me. Um, so after college, I hopped around a little bit. I worked as a research assistant um, at University of Pennsylvania, and then I worked at some nonprofits. And I think um, just for you know, for everyone out there, I think if you're not sure what you want to do, getting some experience under your belt and figuring out what you don't want to do is just as just as important and just as useful. So that's what I did for the first few years after college, and then I eventually got into the pharmaceutical industry. So I started working as a project manager. And then I moved my way up to a regional sales manager. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I was 27 and I I had the dream job, right? I was traveling all over the country. I had the corporate credit card. I was taking clients out to fancy lunches and dinners. And I was working from home at the time. And this was pre-COVID, you know, when working Mm -hmm. from home was was really unique and and a perk. Um, But I just, I wasn't happy. You know, every day felt hard. And I was just like, this isn't what I want to do. And the interesting thing about being in the pharmaceutical industry is you get to see the behind the scenes of what's happening with with drug development. And so for every commercial you see on TV for a drug, there's hundreds that fail and that don't get approved. Mm -hmm. And there's people that are in these clinical trials that have conditions that are really hoping these drugs work and they don't. And so that was that was sort of hard to see. And so after so many years of that, I felt like I don't want to be downstream working to treat disease. I want to be upstream. I want to be promoting health. I want to be preventing disease. Um, So at that point, I went back to school for my master's in nutrition. I did that. And then in order to become a dietitian, you need to do an internship. So did that. 
passed my board exam and um, got an office down here in Miami. That's where I live and uh, got the office, got the furniture ready to go. And so just to paint the picture, this is January, 2020. Um, so I'm like ready to go. I get my first couple of clients and then COVID hits Yeah, and I can't see clients in person and I have to break the lease on my office. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I blew up my, my career in pharmaceutical sales where I was, you know, doing very well. Mm -hmm. And what am I going to do? Um, but you know, it was actually a blessing in disguise. And, and like many people, I was able to pivot and see clients virtually. And that was really helpful for me because one, I was able to see clients from outside of Miami and all over the country and work in different time zones. Um, and I was able to see more clients than I typically would, right? Because it's easier to hop on back-to-back Zoom calls than it is to go to actual physical meetings. So um, during the pandemic, you know, it was also a, a good time for me personally because people were, you know, paying attention to their health. And mm -hmm. there was a there was a big link between obesity and severe COVID. And so, you know, yeah. I think people were paying attention more. And so I was able to see in those two years hundreds of clients. And what I learned from, from working with all of those clients is um, one, there's no perfect diet. So if anyone tries to, you know, push any specific diet on you without knowing your, your background or your, you know, your preferences or your lifestyle, don't listen. It has to be personalized. But the other thing I learned was that information alone isn't enough. Mm -hmm. So when I looked at my clients who were able to lose weight, improve their health and, you know, maintain that long-term, I noticed that they all created good habits. And yes. so I was really interested in this. So I, I dug into the research. I was able to leverage my background in neuroscience. And um, I developed a framework for quickly creating habits because I feel like people, you know, you they think repetition is what you need to create a habit, but there's not. There's so much behavioral neuroscience about how to um, quickly build habits. And I think that's really important because we're all so busy and have so much going on. So um, that's something that I use with all of my clients now. And um, I actually took that framework and put it into a course um, because I, you know, I'm only able to work with so many people one-on-one. -on -one, so I wanted to to make sure everyone had access to that. No, I love it. I think you're so right. Habits are what create success. And if you are looking to have a healthier lifestyle, you need to have habits in order to achieve those goals. But why do you think sometimes it's hard and difficult for people to actually create these habits? Yeah, I think um, people have good intentions, right? Like January 1st, the new year starts, people want to lose weight, they want to improve their health. Um, and, you know, when you initially start, you have a lot of motivation, you're feeling good, you're feeling ready, right? It's a new month, it's a new week, it's a new year. But motivation isn't consistent. Motivation yeah. waxes and wanes and goes up and down. And so if you're only relying on motivation, it's never going to get you through, right? And we see that every year where gym memberships are bonkers for the first two or three weeks in January, and then everything dies off because life gets in the way, right? Motivation is impacted by your stress level, your emotional state, just like, you know, what went on in your family or at work that day, it's not going to be consistent. And so if you are only relying on motivation to get you through, it's, it's just not going to work. Yeah. No, I agree. So what are your four E frameworks to quickly creating habits? Yeah. Okay. So, um, my four E's are emotions, ease, E-A-S-E, eyesight, and environment. And so, um, I'll walk you through a few of those and, and give you some examples. So you have an idea. Perfect. Um, so the, the, um, the idea behind the emotions pillar, the first, the very first one is that 
positive feelings reinforce behavior. And so um, this is re- this is really important, and this is ev- everything basically ties back to this. Um, and you can see this from you know if you, if you look at the science, you can even see this in um, the neurobiology of addiction, right? So let let's look at um, two of the most common drugs. Let's look at cocaine and and meth, right? So the reason why people continue to use these drugs despite all of the havoc it's wreaking in their lives is because when they use the drugs, dopamine is released in their brain. They feel really good. Mm -hmm. And that dopamine actually reinforces the connection between neurons. And so it makes that behavior easier to do again. And so, you know, that's an extreme example, but you can even see this, um, with like, uh, I call it fog eating, right? So you, you ever go into the kitchen and you have a cookie and then, you're not paying attention and you have 20 cookies. You're like, how did that happen? I wasn't even thinking about it. And it's the same idea that eating a cookie feels good and your brain wants to repeat behaviors that feel good. And this, this really dates back to our ancestors because hundreds of thousands of years ago, behaviors that felt good were crucial for our survival, right? So like social connection and and building a tribe crucial. So we can, you know, have that, have that unit Um, eating in case there's a famine. So like Eating feels good. So that's a behavior that we're going to want to repeat. Um, Sex, right? We need to procreate. So all of these behaviors that feel good, our brains are hardwired to repeat. Mm -hmm. And so if you can um, put some positive emotions behind the behavior that you want to become a habit, it's going to become much easier. Um, And so, you know, one of the very first things I tell people, and it's super simple, is that if you want to start a habit, you know, if you want to get in the habit of exercise, the very first thing you want to do is not start with something you hate, right? I have a lot yeah. of people that say, I want to start exercising. I hate running, but I'm, I'm going to start running. But no, you're going to be working against yourself the whole way. So what you want to do is at least start with something that's neutral. And I feel like a lot of healthy habits are on the more neutral side, right? So like drinking water, for example, Yeah. people don't hate it but they don't love it. It's kind of in the middle. Um, But so uh, in my course, uh, I talk through how to take a neutral habit or even a habit that you don't like and turn it in, you know, trick your brain into believing that you like it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so an an example of this is uh, something that you may have heard of. It's called the facial and postural feedback theory. And so this is the idea that when you put a pencil in your mouth and you smile, your brain interprets that and says like, oh, Christina's feeling happy, right? And so this is because your brain not only controls your body, but it's also at the same time monitoring your body to understand like, what's my heart rate? What's my breathing level? Like, am I sweating? How do, how do I feel right now, right? Your brain's trying to like pick up on those cues. Um, so the other example of this is a study done at Harvard and it's the pastoral feedback theory. And it's that um, if you take these high power pose stances, right? you actually yeah. feel more confident. And I think we've all done that yeah. in one way or another. Yeah. yeah. If you make, make yourself look bigger. And this is something that I utilized, you know, in, in big, scary boardrooms when I was in pharmaceutical sales, if you make yourself feel bigger, you actually do feel more confident. Um, and so there's a way to leverage that, which I talk about in my course, and you can sort of trick your brain into thinking that you enjoy a behavior. And once you get that dopamine going, it's basically like miracle growth for those neurons and reinforces the wiring. And then that behavior becomes easier to repeat, which is what you want. Oh, perfect. Yeah, no, good breaking that down. A lot of <laughs> that I've learned. So what about the ease? Yeah, so um, 
Ease is really about convenience, right? So busy working moms, we all have a lot on our plates. Um, It's estimated that we have 80,000 thoughts per day which is exhausting, but I, you, you can kind of understand, right? If you think yeah. about all of the things you're constantly think about. So um, what you want to do is you want to make a new behavior as easy as possible. You want to just get rid of all of the obstacles to make it easy because we really are inclined to take the path of least resistance. So um, the, the other important thing to note here is that if you allow yourself to make a decision you're going to take, you're going to make the easiest decision, right? And so there's the, there's the decision fatigue theory, which says that the more decisions that you make, um, the, the quality of those decisions decreases. So just generally speaking, if you have a decision to make, you want to make it at 9am, not at 4pm, because you're going to be fresh and uh, making a decision actually requires glucose. So you're, mm-hmm. if you are low on energy, you're, you're not going to make high quality decisions. And so I never if knew we that can, glucose yeah. decision making, that's something new. I never knew that. Yeah, for sure. So that's, that's another reason why you don't want to make a decision at 4 p.m. because we're hangry, right? It's been a while since lunch. Like we're not, we don't have the energy. So you're just, your decision-making skills aren't, aren't optimal at that point. Do um, you think that like, sorry to interrupt, but like the first thought is the right decision instead of like overthinking it. Like the first thing that comes to your mind sometimes is like the right one. Yeah. I think your, your gut, your gut decision is the right one, but I also also think it depends on how you're feeling. If this is the first thought you have and it's 4 PM and you're tired, your brain is inclined to preserve calories, preserve energy, Mm -hmm. and it's going to do the easiest thing possible. So, but the easiest thing is not always the the, the best right thing, thing for you yeah. or, the, or the right thing. But if you're feeling like high energy and you're like, this is the decision I'm making with my gut and it feels good, then I think trust your instincts, but like gauge how you're feeling when you're going into that decision-making. Um, okay. So back to ease. So basically what we want to do is we want to make decision, make it as easy as possible, make, t- take away most of the decisions, you know? And so I tell my clients, we want to scale it back and break it down. So if your goal is to, you know, start running, and your first goal is five miles. If you haven't gone for a run in four years, that's that's not good. We we want to scale it back. We want to make it easy. Um, mm-hmm. And that's also because, again, going back to the emotions pillar, positive feelings wire in um, wire in behavior, right? And they help you to repeat that behavior. So if you scale that goal back to half a mile and you hit that and you achieve that, you're going to feel good. You're mm-hmm. going to want to do it again the next day. On the flip side, if you set your goal for five miles, you leave your house and you're out of breath and give up after three blocks, you're going to feel discouraged. And then your brain is going to say, Hey, I didn't like the way I felt after that run yesterday. I felt discouraged. I felt like I was unsuccessful. I don't want to do that again. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, then you have these negative feelings that are associated with it. So you really want to try to try to aim for these small wins and um, get as many small wins under your belt as possible to really build up those positive, positive feelings, um, because that's what's going to help to make that behavior into a habit. Hey friends, I hope you are enjoying this week's episode of Not Your Mama's Podcast. This podcast would not be possible if it wasn't for the support of you, my wonderful community. To support your mama's podcast, please click the support link right down below and you can donate just as little as 99 cents. 
Also follow me in the shop like to know it app where you can follow me with all my exclusive content all the way from baby products. I love fashion and style and everything in between. Now let's get back to the episode. And then eyesight. Eyesight. Okay. So eyesight, and this is actually very important um, when you're initially starting a habit is that you want to have something that reminds you of your, um, of the, of your behavior, right? Because, you know, you and I can have the best intentions of, I want to get up in the morning and I want to, you know, drink a glass of water before my coffee, but you know, you get up in the morning and the dogs are barking and the baby's yelling and things are happening and you just forget, you forget, right? We have Mm -hmm. so much going on in our lives, even despite our best intentions, you may not be able to make a behavior into a habit because you just forget. Um, and so having a visual cue that acts as a trigger is really important, at least in, in those first initial stages. Um, and, you know, this is also important if you are trying to break a habit. So, you know, out of sight, out of mind is more than just more than just a saying. It's actually really powerful. So if, if you're mm. someone who has a habit of going into the kitchen and, and late night snacking, you want to put those snacks in in the back of cabinets where you don't see them, right? You don't want to leave them out on the counter. You want to, um, you want to remove all of those visual cues. So you're not, you're not thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Just don't buy it. (laughs) Just don't buy it. Don't have it in the house. I know, I know it's hard, but you know, and a lot of people will say, well, it's for my kids or it's for my husband. So, you know, you can't always control your environment completely. And I get that. So um, if it has to be in the house, just make sure it's not, you know, in your eyesight. Perfect. And then the last one, environment. Environment. Okay. So environment ties into eyesight a little bit um, in that you want to clean up your environment, right? As much as you can, you want to um, utilize healthy defaults. And this goes back to ease as well, where you want to make the easiest decision, the healthiest decision. So how do you do that? You put healthy food in your fridge, right? You put healthy food in, in, in your cabinets because it's easy to open up your fridge. And if you have junk food there, that's what you're going to eat. But if you have fruit chopped up and, you know, dip and vegetables ready to go, that's what you'll eat. So you really want to, um, you know, clean up your environment to the best of your ability. So, so that it's easy for you to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing about environment is it's, uh, it's also your, your social environment, right. And the people we surround ourselves with, mm-hmm. um, you know, so often we are, we are influenced by friends and family and we don't even know it. Yeah. Um, and so I think if you can, in, you know, in this age, it's so easy to join a group and find people online, especially through social media, you're able to find people with similar interests. And I think it's really important to find people who are interested in what you're interested in, you know, yeah. and, and who, who want to work out and who, who want to eat healthy, um, because you know, that that's really going to help you. Oh. Um, the other, the other aspect of environment is paying attention to, um, how, how you're motivated, right. And, and, and what type of, um, accountability you need. So for me, I'm someone who needs external accountability, right? If I, if I say, I'm going to do yoga tomorrow, I'm likely not going to do it. But if I meet a friend, if I make a plan to meet a friend for yoga, I'm going to get up and do it. So like, Mm -hmm. I will never let a friend down. I've never missed a a work deadline, but when I make commitments to myself, they're easier to break. And so a lot of people, 
are also that way. And so some people need um, a dietitian, a trainer, um, a health coach, or even just, you know, a, a spouse, a partner, someone to go on this journey with you and help hold you accountable. And, and, you know, in some cases, if you can't find anyone, it doesn't even have to be someone who's doing it with you, but just tell people of your goals, because I think once you start talking about it and you put it out there, that's the external accountability that you need, mm-hmm. right? If you like tell your friend, Hey, check in on me. I'm going to go for a run three times this week. Can you check in with me on Friday? And so when they text you on Friday, you don't want to say, no, I didn't do it. You're that's going to be in the back of your mind. And just that little bit of accountability, I think is uh, super useful. I agree. Definitely. Accountability. I totally agree. Um, so how can women improve their relationship with food and help them lose weight? Yeah. Um, I think that looking at the big picture of our relationship with food is so important when it comes to um, the weight discussion or just improving our health in general. Um, The idea of restricting doesn't work, um, doesn't work for anyone. And so what I like to tell people is in the same way, um, you know, if if you have a healthy relationship with alcohol, you know that you can have uh, a glass of champagne and you know how it's going to make you feel, right? So like, I love a glass of champagne. I know it's going to make me feel like relaxed, um, you know, a little buzzed. And then I know I'm going to feel sleepy, but so I know the right time and place for that. I know that that's great on a Friday evening, but that's not good on a Monday morning. So like yeah, very, very few people are pouring themselves wine or champagne on a Monday morning. And I think it's it's the same with food. So it doesn't have to be good, good or bad food, but in the same way, like, know, pay attention to your body, know how a donut's going to make you feel, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to raise your blood sugar. It's going to raise your insulin. And then it's going to crash. So two hours later, you're going to be hangry. You're going to want to eat again before lunch. You're going to feel low on energy. And so it's like, donuts aren't bad, but maybe they're not the right food for a Monday morning, right? Maybe that's a Saturday afternoon when you have nothing to do. And so I think if we can try to shift our perspective and think about food in that way, that it's not good or bad, but it's, um, how does this food make me feel? And when's the best time to consume it? I think that's, um, that's really helpful. No, it is a good perspective. Kind of like schedule it out, plan it out a little bit, you know? No, I think that's such a great perspective. Rebecca, that's like all really great information. I learned some stuff. That's awesome. I know I struggle with habits with eating myself, you know, and always just cooking for the kids. And then I'm just picking off the kids meals and I'm not really thinking about myself. So I think it's important that we, you know, create environments for women and have support that, you know, you can take care of yourself and have, have these healthy habits. So you feel good, you know, cause food is medicine yeah. and it'll for help, sure. you. you know, it can cure you. It can give you energy and it can also make you tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have four questions that I ask all my guests and I cannot wait to hear what your answers are. So my first one is who and what inspires you? Ooh, okay. Um, I am always inspired by people who, you know, despite the success that they've had, continue to look at themselves and want to learn more and look at the people around them and want to learn more. And so there's this book that I read a couple of years ago. It's by Gretchen Rubin Mm -hmm. and it's called The Four Tendencies. And um, in this book, she talks about uh, four different personality types and basically how we're all motivated. And just honestly, such a game changer. I tell everyone I know they have to read this book because I think it really helps. It helped me understand myself better. It helped me in my profession with understanding how 
clients are motivated. Um, so like in, you know, nutrition counseling helped my marriage, like help me understand why my husband makes certain decisions. And so I think, you know, continually, I'm always impressed by people who continue to, um, to grow and are really just interested in improving themselves and, and their relationships. Yeah. Life is, you're always growing, always learning, you know, you can't stop. So yeah, I agree. So what is something you wished you knew when you were younger? Ooh, um, you know, if, if I could, yeah, go back and, and I guess tell my 20 year old self something, it would be not to take everything so seriously. You know, I think in the moment uh, we tend to have tunnel vision and you tend to say like, I need to get this done today. And, and then you realize like, no, you're fine. I have, I have the next 60 years to do this. Right. And so I think that would have saved me a lot of stress and anxiety in my twenties. Um, and even in my very early thirties to say like, you have time, you can make it work as far as like, you know, career and family. And, um, there's, there's plenty of time. Don't take it all too seriously, you know, enjoy yourself. Yeah. I know. I used to always be like, I'm behind in life. I'm behind. Yeah. In life. But I'm really not, you know, I'm right where I need to be. And I just, it's, we need to be living in the moment, not thinking about the past yeah, or the future, exactly. the now. And sometimes it's so much easier said than done, but it really is just live in the moment, absorb it. Cause you are going to get to your destination when, when it's meant to be. Yeah. Um, so my third question is what's the essential part of your daily routine? Ooh, okay. So um, this has changed in the last year since I've had my daughter, but I think, you know, we all have non-negotiables sort of in our, in our daily schedule and mine is my mornings. And so my husband is a night owl, so he sleeps in. Um, so I've always had the morning to myself and, and my mornings prior to my daughter used to be very leisurely with my dogs. And, and um, now I'm getting up much earlier because I want to get up before my daughter, but having 30 minutes to myself in the morning, I, I do yoga um, and just like very gentle yoga for 15 minutes. And then I sit and have a cup of tea and just having that quiet time before the day starts and where I can just, you know, sort of move my body and, and get my thoughts aligned and, and prep for the day is crucial. Yeah. I, I can't imagine just like jumping out of bed and, and jumping into it. I think having that time in the morning where it's just me is so important. No, that is important. And you learned that early. So with <laughs> and your husband don't wake up in the morning, nope. you know, sleep, sleep in. in. <laughs> if you wake up, you're going to ruin my day. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, what are you doing here? Go back to bed. Go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> you're ruining my vibes. Um, anyway, so the fourth one is best advice you've ever received. Ooh, okay. Best advice I've ever received is, oh, I think just, you know, understanding that people, we have more in common with people than we have different from them. And, you know, sometimes people can come off in a negative way, but it's really just because they're hurting. So understanding that, if you had a bad experience with someone, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, right? Everyone is dealing with tremendous, tremendous things that we, and that we have no idea about. So I think mm -hmm. having that type of grace when you're dealing with people, even in frustrating circumstances, um, has been really useful for me because the older I get and the more people I, you know, interact with, I think you, you know, that that's even more true, you know, that we're all just doing the best we can and, um, I think to give people that, that grace and understand that, um, they could be dealing with something tough that, you know, you, you're, you aren't aware of. 
Yeah, no, that is a great reminder. Um, so do you have any last words uh, before we say goodbye today? Um, just thank you again for having me. And if anyone is interested in losing weight, improving their health, developing uh, good habits, they can find me at happyhealthynutritionist.com. And my Instagram handle is the same, happyhealthynutritionist. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on Not Your Mama's podcast. And I hope you guys all enjoyed this week's episode. Down below in the show notes, I have all the links. Don't be shy. Go say hi. And I hope to see you all in the next one. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Not Your Mama's podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you in the next one.